This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum. The theme was Disciple Maker, and the Relational Discipleship Network hosted a track called Relational Discipleship, and it was about how to create a disciple-making church culture. That's where the episode for today was recorded, and we wanted to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Stay the Course, which is about seven essential practices for disciple-making churches. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash rdn. That's discipleship.org slash rdn. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. This session was recorded in a large room, so thanks for bearing with us as some of the audio was affected by that setup. All right, so Jim Putman. Good morning. Good morning. Do you know how early it is where I live? I don't even like hunting this early in the morning. Uh, it's good to see all of you. Uh, let me, again, just review a little bit about where we've been. Uh, and each session does build. I think they did tape it. Uh, and it's also in several of the books that we've talked about. Um, what we're, we've been talking about is how do you build a disciple-making culture at a church? And again, it's really great that we have some guys that are going to talk in a little bit about some specific applications. One of them, a brand new church planner, so what does it look like to plant a church uh, with, that, that wants to be and is living out discipleship as a church? And then um, we also have somebody who had to take a church 100 years old, you know, and shift it. Different skill sets, you want the same outcome. And so that's great. But uh, we started out with this biblical foundation of relationship. And the reason we started with that is we are the Relational Discipleship Network. And we think that uh, you cannot divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus and get the results of Jesus. Jesus isn't just the great teacher. He gave us a method to follow. He said, go make disciples. He didn't mean go do it any way you want. He meant, I've done it with you. Now go do what I did. And, uh, and we believe his method works best because he created us, so he knows what method would work best. Kind of last night when we are talking about the millennials. All the research points to be a Christian. Right? Be a Christian and it reaches every demographic. Now, what this worship service looks like is different. Right? They, they have different preferences. But you want to reach them? Individuals sharing their faith, loving people, being in a relationship reaches every demographic. Um, here's the other part of this. You want to make mature disciples, you better have the right definition of what maturity is. You make the wrong thing. It's in relationship that you learn, you teach people to be in relationship. All the law and the prophets are summed up in love God and love others. Jesus said that. Paul reaffirmed that. The entirety of the, of the scriptures is about a reconciling God, restoring relationship that was lost because of sin. Not just relationship with him, but relationship with others. As you walk in the light, as he is in the light, then you have fellowship with one another. Okay, so relationship is what it's all about. And if you think that maturity in Christ is just knowing the word and being skilled at leading, you've completely missed the point. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 13. You can know all mysteries, speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but if you have not love, you're nothing. Okay, so 
We started with biblical foundation for relationship. Want to be, make a disciple-making church? You better start with this right understanding of what maturity is and how to get it done. Uh, the second session um, was, uh, what was the second session? What was that? Coaching to win, right. Understanding, this is why this is important. Uh, as a pastor, you better understand what you are. You are not the paid player, you're a coach. Winning is not gathering a crowd. Winning is releasing an army of trained spiritual wrestlers. Remember I said, uh, for some of you, wrestling is a biblical sport. And... It, it, I, I know I said it was the only one, but somebody, somebody said it wasn't, and they were actually right. But I know basketball is not in there. I did say that, too. Uh, now, here's the deal. Um, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, right? Uh, problem is, is that most Christians don't know how to wrestle. Not for their family, not for their workplace, not for the people around them, because they weren't taught to. They, they're just spectators. And um, so we talked about what does it look like to be an intentional leader who understands the game, can evaluate where a person's at for the purpose of building an environment for their growth. And what would happen if we created a, a group of people? What would happen if you had 12 people who understood what Christianity was really about and could live it, could evaluate other people intentionally to help them take the next step in growth. What would happen if you had 30 of those? What would happen if you had 12? What did happen with 12? The whole world changed. Without video, without radio, without printing presses, without they changed the whole world. And so um, we talked about that. This third session speaks about alignment. Now. Um, when I speak about alignment, I speak uh, about um, getting everybody on the same page. All right? Uh, unity. One of the things that I said yesterday, I'll reaffirm it. In football, this is what we used to look at things. If you get them fighting in the huddle, you own them on the line of scrimmage. Um, alignment. One of the things that we do is, at our church is often, uh, well, every... Uh, about every other month or so, we bring in, a, we have a conference, and we have it around the country, but whole church staffs will come in, and it's very experiential, and they'll be sitting at a table like this, and I'll say, uh, or one of our leaders will say, you know, you're here, to, you want to make disciples, you want to be a disciple-making church, and yes, and one of the things before some of our books came out uh, that we used to, we, we have them read now before they come, we used to hand them a card and say, I want you to write on this card the definition of a disciple, but you can't talk to anybody else on your team. How often do you think a church staff from one team defined disciple, maturity in Christ or discipleship the same way? In all of our years of doing this, one. Now, let's... let's Let's change the scenario. Football. I called play in the huddle. What would happen if I called a play in the huddle and then asked everybody what that play meant and not one of them had the same definition? How would we do? Does that make sense to you? Uh, Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. 
The Tower of Babel is a great picture of a bunch of people, very skilled, very intelligent. One thing changed in one day, and they couldn't finish the task. What was the one thing? Language. Language. I think you may misunderstand or not be aware of the differences in words. I'll just give you a prime example. In my own marriage, my wife and I have used the same word but had completely different understandings of what that word meant. Can anybody else who's married give me an amen on that? That's just me and one person. Now add 100, add 300, add 10, add, add 1,000, 5,000. And, and the problem is, is that your people are being influenced by other Christians, by different Christians on the radio, by different books they're reading. They have, it's, like you're, it's, not, it's not just like one coach, one team that you get to protect. They're being influenced by several others that explain words and mean different things by those words. I don't think you understand the complexity that you're dealing with in your church. It doesn't matter how talented you are. If your players don't work together, they can't win. Does this make sense to you? So this issue of alignment is so under addressed. Then you add just the issue of not just... Uh, I just had one of our best givers leave our church after 16 years. And, and we, I thought he understood what I meant. I talk about authority, spiritual authority, and I actually explained. I, I preached about this a hundred times. I, I actually explained what I meant by it. And after 16 years, he's leaving the church. Now, maybe he agreed with me 16 years ago. Maybe he agreed with me 14 years ago. But people change. That adds a whole different dynamic. So if you want to win, you have to figure out how to address this issue. The church is the body. Christ is the head. The Holy Spirit. But leadership. I mean, think about every letter Paul had to write. It was to address a problem. He constantly had to, to realign people because they fought over personalities or what communion meant or what grace meant or what faith meant. This is a huge task. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. So, I, you know, I'll just give you a prime example. And uh, um, well, let me say it this way. We've, we've set up some parameters in our church to create and keep alignment. Systems to create and keep alignment. All right? And we started it all the way back with four people. So people ask us, how have we been able to stay aligned and, and no major wars and keep going forward? Well, first of all, that question reveals your ignorance. <laughs> we haven't. It's been a constant battle. But we've set up systems to, to make that happen. Um, we have what's called a, a playbook. And if you're going to join our church, we have a membership. And you have to take that class if you're going to be a member. 
Then we have what's called the 301 class. For every volunteer leader, you have to take it every year. And, and our church is set up, every ministry we do is in a season. There is a season that begins and ends. And at the end of that season, you have to, to start the next season, you have to go back through 301 class that explains everything we believe again. Every single year. Now again, my, my reason for doing this is I'm an athlete. I'm a, I'm a coach. And, and, and that's what teams do. All right, let, let me give you an example. Uh, when my kids were little, we lived in Coeur d'Alene. We moved to Rathrum. My kids wanted to play football. So to play football, we had to go. We, we called up the, 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 the uh, Rathrum Lakeland School District, and we want to play football. Okay, well, we have, the season starts here, and we have a parents' meeting here at this time. I go to the parents' meeting. They hand out a, the names, the coaches, the rules, the, the, the playbook, everything that we're going to do. Now, I want you to imagine... If they'd have said, hey, we're not, we don't really have a playbook, and if you've played football anywhere before, you're welcome, and you don't have to learn our playbook. They didn't have a playbook. We're just glad you want to play. What would have happened? It's Lakeland plays a different kind of football. Same rules, same field, completely different <coughs> style of football than Coeur d'Alene does. Right? I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of football. You could be a running team, a passing team. You could be a veer offense. You could be a West Coast offense. You could be a 4-3 a, a defense, a 5-3 defense, a 5-2 defense. Uh, that, it, there's a whole bunch of ways to play football. They said, this is the way we play. Now, what if I'd have said, well, okay, you hand me the playbook, and I go, I don't really like this system. I like the Coeur d'Alene system. What would they have said? Go back to Coeur d'Alene. Are there a different way? Are there different ways to do church? Are there different views about all different kinds of subjects? Do people have a hard time seeing things the same way and going in the same direction? Is that something you're naturally born with? No, we have a sinful nature that makes that extremely difficult. Secondly, we we got to take into consideration. That the devil hates the church and he will seek to divide the church at every turn. You're not just dealing with human things. You're dealing with a supernatural enemy who will play on the differences constantly. So when we talk about alignment, we talk about four things. So I want you to notice here, we talk about relational alignment Philosophical alignment, theological alignment, and organizational alignment. So let me, let me just explain that. First of all, this relational alignment is super important because um, church splits usually do not, although they'll say it has to do with theology or one of those kinds of things, it always, almost always has to do with the relational breakdown. So when I say relational alignment, what I mean by that is we're going to work out our stuff as it happens. As the devil tries to, to uh, br- uh, sow discord, as our sinful nature tends to be rebellious and, and problematic, as 
There are misunderstandings that happen through communication. Relational alignment is the constant settling of the issues that you have to do in, 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 all the time. In our staff meetings, in our, in our uh, whatever we've got going on. Number one, how are we doing with Jesus? And what is he saying about what we may need to resolve here? One of the things that will happen oftentimes is uh, the staff, is going back to the analogy of the staff, different definition, that's one problem. But oftentimes these people come wanting to discover how to be a disciple-making church. Not only do they have a different understanding of what discipleship is, intellectually, they often come in with misunderstandings and anger and frustration towards each other, or they don't know each other at all on the same team. And so they, they know they have a problem. They're not making disciples. They want a new direction. They come in, and they want some new philosophy, some new scheme, some new something to grow the church and to create success. But again, as we sit down with them, we find out they're actually angry at each other about one thing or another, and they, they don't understand that is a bigger problem and, the, and a more important problem than the, the, the structure, systems, and, and vision that they want, want to go on. And, and what, one of the things we'll always quote is when Jesus said, when you bring your sacrifice to the temple... And you realize that there is a problem, leave it, go and make it right, and then bring it. In other words, he doesn't want your sacrifice of work if you don't actually love each other and haven't worked out your stuff. You really think God is going to bless your church? When it's a megaton bomb and the fuse is already lit. He's going to bring more people to a church so that when it blows because of your relational frustration and anger towards one another, everybody gets crap all over themselves relationally. They make Jesus look stupid. Why would God want to bring more people to your church when you don't love each other, you don't work, it, work your stuff out? Which is why the relational component has to be first before you get to the task. Because I don't think, even if you have the right vision and the right plan, if you aren't loving each other, then that doesn't reflect Christ in his heart. Which is why the first thing you have to do is go, are we okay? And you have to encourage courage. Or a bitter root grows up and defiles many. Or anger, you go to, to bed angry and you give the devil a foothold. You see, what gives the devil a foothold? Go to bed angry without resolving your stuff. You just invited the devil in to mess with your plan. If your plan is first, you've got things out of order. Back that, that, see how that ties all the way back to... Biblical foundation for relationship. You guys okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? And that takes a lot of work. I mean, there are times when, when we have to put the agenda aside and go, to honor God best, we've got to work through this and love each other. We've got to forgive one another. We've got to be brothers and sisters. You know why people bounce around from church to church? 
Because their pastors do. Why do their pastors do it? Because they don't resolve issues. Nothing kills a, a, a vision worse than people moving, moving parts all the time. Why are there moving parts? Well, one, because pastors think... It, it, relationships are like ropes. No relationships, it's easy to leave. So they say they love, but they don't let people love them, and they don't love others really from the heart. And know each other. So it's easy to leave to go to a new thing because it's just a job. So then why do their people do that? Move from church. You get all mad about your people moving from church to church to church. Why do you do it? As the head goes, the body follows. There's no relationship. Why do kids leave church never to return after age 18? Well, it's because they don't have relationships. And it's because your people just go to church. It's hard to leave people that you know love you, been to your games, cared for you, loved you. If kids had relationships with people, it'd be really hard to leave, but they don't. Why? Their parents don't. Why? Their pastors don't. Why don't they? Because they don't resolve issues. They don't really love each other. They don't fight for a relationship. Is this making any sense to you? If this right here got right... You'd get better ideas because there'd be wise counsel. You'd get better work because you don't have to deal with the years and years of built up frustration. You just deal with it quickly before the bitter root sets in. It's just easier to clean up when it's just topical instead of deep to the bone. So being a Christian is more important than doing Christianity. Back to that statement last night. We can do all the research we want on this person or that person. The truth is, be a Christian and it's attractive to everybody. Be a Christian and God says, you know, I'm going to be there because those people are reflecting me. Those people are bringing glory to me. When you bring glory to the real Jesus, it's attractive. When you take on the name of Jesus, but you fight, you don't deal with issues, you're filled with bitterness and rage and anger and frustration, and so you keep everybody at a distance or you fight it out all the time, that doesn't make Jesus... Where's, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the fruit of the Spirit is peace, but we can't figure out how to have real peace at the heart level, then what are we... Is Jesus even true? That's what they think. That's what I thought as an atheist. I, I used to go, he doesn't even work for you. Why do I want him? How much time do I have left? Because I really don't. Okay, but last thing. I didn't even get to what I wanted to get to. Uh, relational alignment. Philosophical alignment. In other words, this is how we do church. 101. We're in small groups. This is what we mean. Theological alignment. Here's the essential. Here's the important for unity. Here's the preferential. We define that so that they know. And we make them go through the 101 class before they actually... Uh, serve in any way. They can go to a home group, but they cannot serve in any way. The worst thing you could do is put people into places of service where they get to be connected with other people, but they don't have any idea what you believe until you preach about it. Now they're mad. Now they want to leave, but now they've already got a bunch of relationships they talk with about how they disagree with you. Before you get into service, before you got to agree before you get there. And then every year we go back through it just in case you changed your mind by listening to the Christian radio station. Alignment, alignment, alignment. We're team, team, team. Relational alignment, 
Philosophical, organizational, this is what we're doing over and over and over again. We fight for alignment because now we can get something done together. All right, so Brandon Gindin is going to do this next piece. Brandon was uh, uh, one of our he was executive pastor at Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls. He felt called to uh, go help a church out in Texas for a couple of years, help make the shift, and then from there called to plant a disciple-making church in Tomball, Texas. What I think is good about Brandon on this topic is alignment. How important is that when you go to launch a new church plant? Pretty important, and so this is going to bring a perspective of how do you how do you put this into play from starting in the beginning. And so, Brandon, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, Lou. <clears throat> so I did. I moved from Post Falls, Idaho, uh, which is if you've ever been there, is called God's Country uh, because it is literally that beautiful. It's an incredible place to grow up and live. And I moved to Houston, Texas, which is pretty much the same. If they're like identical, right? Houston and North Idaho. Uh, every single thing about that move, it, I, my wife and I joke, we feel like we're missionaries to a foreign land. It's so different. It's wonderful. We love being in Texas. But as we move, this, this idea and concept of alignment and planting a church, um, we were faced with that and are continue to be faced with it at every turn. North Idaho, not a lot of cultural diversity. Houston, the most culturally diverse city in the United States. It's incredible. So you have all these different backgrounds, not only culturally, but theologically. And, and when you're planting a church in the middle of that, uh, it's incredible. Within five miles of our church plant, 20 cifer, 26 different languages. Um, it's incredible. And so we've had to understand and look at and evaluate what does it mean to fight for alignment, to be aligned. Because coming from real life, all these things Jim's talked about, are critical if we're going to have an impact in our community, if we're going to work together as a team. So when we stepped in, I, when I, I said this in the earlier session, I did not grow up in the church. My approach to the scriptures and to churches in general has been very simplistic, and I thank the Lord that he's helped me keep it that way and not get it all messed up. And I'll never forget when I was very early on in ministry and I was reading John chapter 17 and Jesus' prayer for the believers. And his prayer, you guys know this prayer, he prays for us to be what? One, to be unified. I mean, think of if we gave Jesus, hey, here's our prayer request list uh, and, and Jesus is praying for us, the amount of things we could put on that list. But he prays for one thing. Because at the center of that, if we don't have unity, just as Jim is saying, we don't have anything to bring. We're a mess. And it's amazed me when I go in and look at the church and we work with different churches and even as we're planting, how many different programs and ministries, and I'm not saying that they're, that they're bad, but so often we get split and divided in competing programs and competing budgets and all these different things. And we're not even shooting at the target we're supposed to shoot at. I want you to hear this. The greatest, the greatest, and I don't care what program you bring to me. The greatest evangelistic tool you have in your church is to just get along. If you will get along, love each other and care for each other and do what the Bible says then God's responsibility is to handle quantity. Your job is to take care of quality. 
So for us in starting this church, I've had different people come in and say, hey, I did this ministry here and I did that ministry there and whatever. That's great. None of those things are bad or wrong. But here's who we're going to be. We are going to be a disciple-making church, and this is how we're going to do it. This is the direction that we're going to go. And so being able to set those things, as Jim talked about, theologically and philosophically, we are going to be a disciple-making church that makes disciples in relational environments, just as Jesus did. Now, if the Holy Spirit illuminates a need in our community, or you get hit with a hurricane, and you've got to go out and care for people and do that, then we'll go do that. But... Our primary is to make disciples. So in that, when as we were putting the team together, first and foremost is we have to be relationally aligned. And so for the last two years, I constantly talk about, try to live out and model that we're going to fight through our issues. We're going to, when we have conflict, which we do have, we're going to fight through it. You don't take your ball and go home. And we're going to press through it and we're going to be in relationship because that's where you find out can we be unified? Where's somebody at spiritually? If, if they get upset and mad at me and they leave and leave the church, that tells me more about their spiritual maturity than I ever could have seen in any ministry that they had done. So fighting for relationship is the, most, is the primary. On, that, on the, the target that we had up there, that is the core and center because if we can't be a relationally aligned, how in the world can you ever put a budget together? If the guys in ministry across from you, you can't get along with, and as Jim said, expect God's blessing. And so from that core, we get relationally aligned and we're together. We then can move to the other things philosophically. Does everybody in your church know exactly philosophically what you're trying to accomplish, what God's called you to do, and is it clearly communicated over and over and over? And one of the greatest ways to communicate your philosophical alignment is to celebrate it. To keep it in front of your people. Video testimony from the stage. I talk about it as much as I possibly can on Sunday morning about the wins and what's happening and us accomplishing what God's called us to accomplish. And then finally, that part, organizational alignment. In the church plant for us now, I have so many, again, people, different people coming in with different experiences. You have to over-communicate it. Things like your definitions, a definition for us of a, of a disciple. I preach on it and talk about it. After two years, the guys that are in kind of my inner circle, my leadership team, they are just now starting to get it after two years. And I want to say this element to all of you about alignment, because I think this is a critical piece, especially for those of you that are establishing and, build, and planting a church. And those of you that are transitioning a church, be careful with time. We put time elements on things and we expect it to get done tomorrow. And we can create these pressures internally on ourselves that things have to happen at a certain rate and we have to get it done. And if they don't, then we want to divert. And, and, and it took Jesus three and a half years with these guys. After two years of talking about it every week and living it and modeling it with our leadership team, their guys are just now starting to go, okay, I think I'm getting it. Because it has to transition. Any of this, in our alignment, making disciples has to transition from programmatic what I do to who you are. And for people that have grown up in the church or people that have not, it just doesn't happen overnight. So giving yourself time, allowing time to happen for these moves to occur. For the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of people, to help them align. 
But for you as a leader, if you don't have that clear and where you're going and established, your people can never follow you. They can never live it out. So ask yourself some of those questions today as you're, as you're going thinking about that. Are we aligned relationally? Do I have ought on our team? Am I at, at odds with some of my elders? Do I have problems? You got to go back and resolve that and work through that before you can ever do anything effectively to align to be a disciple-making church. After that, then you start looking at the organization and the philosophy and the theology and start adjusting those things. And together as a team, over time and living it out, you can make the shift or you can establish that foundation. Thanks. Bob Reed is our next speaker. Bob Reed is a senior pastor out of Fort Myers, Florida. He came on the scene about eight years ago, ish, and ish, and is very passionate about making disciples. That church was 100 years old, so what does it look like to walk through and shift a church that's 100 years old, and you're the new guy, okay? And so, uh, Bob, it'd be great if you would just share some practical examples of what you had to do to, to align sure. unity. Yep. Thanks. The, uh, so when we went through what you guys uh, know now as a DS1, came out of it, super convicted, as I shared before. And so trying to figure out, okay, where do we start? What do we do? How do we go through? You know, what, what do I need to uh, do to make this happen? Um, there's another thing that when you, if you choose to get into the network, uh, there's a thing called a DS2, and uh, it's a three-day uh, really experience of them walking your key decision makers. So it's some core staff and our elders and walking through this process of getting us all aligned. Because if you can't get your elder board and you as your senior pastor and your staff aligned, it's going to be a train wreck. And you're going to create all kinds of problems for your church. And so that was one of the most powerful things because it really helped expose some things that we were wrestling with and where we were stuck because I come into a scenario where there was a lot of lack of trust for the position uh, because of previous administration, if you will, right? And so it's co- I was constantly trying to undo uh, some of the things that had been done in order to build trust to move forward. And so one of the exercises was, and it was, Luke was there, he said, okay, I want everybody to write down what you believe the purpose of the church is. And I'm like, they're going to nail this because our mission at that time was – the church is just to love and live like Jesus. And that was just our mission, to love and live like Jesus. And so I'm like, they're going to nail this. It's going to be great because I talk about vision all the time. This is what we're about. 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 So, they, so next thing you know, he says, all right, I want everybody to go up and I want you to write down what you believe that, you know, the purpose of the church is. And there was literally, I think we had 13, 14 people in the room. There were 14 different statements on this whiteboard. And I'm just boiling inside, right? And then they asked the question. So do you think we're all saying the same thing? And everybody's going, yeah. I'm literally, I'm about ready to come out of my skin. And I'm like, Luke's like, "Uh, yeah, Bob. And I said, how in the world, when there's 13 different statements, do we think we could be on this? Well, you know, we're pretty much saying the same thing, right? And it just exposed how, I'm like, our mission as a church is, right, and I'd quote, they're like, well, yeah, that's ours, but I mean, you know, and I'm like, well, why would ours be any different than the church? And again, the piece that we were missing was having making disciples, and so we changed, literally, it took us 
30 minutes maybe to all of a sudden recognize collectively that we would, we would be in elder meetings from 6 in the evening, sometimes till midnight for months and months and months just working through all kinds of junk. And in 30 minutes, these group of guys could immediately agree on, we made, it wasn't a huge thing, but it was a huge thing. We're gonna, our mission was to make disciples who love and live like Jesus. You agree? You agree? You agree? You agree? Everybody's like, absolutely, absolutely. And all of a sudden, there just happened in those three days where we got aligned on the mission of the church. Where they didn't feel like I was just coming in and saying, this is what it's going to be, and they're going to nod their head. They had ownership because we had to walk through that stuff together. And I had to be patient, which was incredibly difficult. And so when Brandon talks about timing, there's so much wisdom in that timing piece. And so then as a staff, how do we get aligned? Well, we, we would talk through this stuff, and we would work through some of the materials that you have out there, the workbook, all that kind of stuff, just walking through it. You know, we, we would talk through, okay, I had, we went through a book uh, by Patrick Lencioni called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And, uh, and so it gets to that part where it says, you know, you're supposed to get naked with your team, meaning that you're going to share your story and you're going to be very vulnerable and all this stuff. And so I said, all right, I'm going to go first. And I said, we're going to take every staff meeting. We're going to, each staff person is going to take their time to share their story. And we, it took months. But I was setting the bar of how deep and authentic and real are you going to get. And so I shared incredibly vulnerable vulnerably with our team about the stuff that we had gone through as a family and personally at other, you know, another church and all that stuff, which then said what was okay to share. Because there's nothing worse than you, somebody says, okay, we're going to get real vulnerable and you go first and you realize you were the only one that was going to, right? You realize, man, I feel like, you know, I'm the only one that chose to, to, to get truly uh, transparent. And so it set the bar for the entire team. And so all of a sudden, then we started layering things with our team of building uh, trust with one another, calling each other accountable, holding each other accountable, holding the line with that stuff. We did a, a thing, uh, Andy Stanley did a great uh, leadership lesson on trust versus suspicion. If you've never heard it, you need to do it with your team. And he talks about how when there is a gap between what you expect and what you experience, you fill that gap with either trust or suspicion. So I expect you to do something. You don't. Now do, but, but my, you know, my, my gap that I'm going to fill, well, you know, yeah, I'm probably sure he didn't. This is probably what he was doing. He doesn't care, blah, 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 blah. Or am I going to stay curious, choose to trust you in that gap, and now I'm going to come to you and say, hey, help me understand. Yeah. This is what I thought we had talked about, but this is what I just experienced. Can you help me understand what happened? And when you create a culture that chooses to believe the best in the person and trust them and love them and value them versus jumping to conclusions about them, all of a sudden you will start creating an environment that's highly relational, cares deeply about the person, and willing to not put them on the defensive. Because when you start accusing, the natural thing is for me to defend, right, out of my flesh. But when you choose to believe the best and you stay curious, so creating a curiosity culture of saying, I value you and this relationship so deeply that I'm going to choose to stay curious versus suspicious. And so different things that you are going to do with your staff to align these values. And then all of a sudden, it was interesting, not too long ago, something came up with our elder board and they weren't staying curious, right? And our staff, it was funny because our staff's going, why aren't they staying curious here, right? They've owned that. And so I've realized there's some training that I've got to to do some more with our elder board that there's been some breakdown there. And so as you walk through this stuff, 
And as you get your team aligned and work through this stuff relationally and talk through some things as far as trust and caring for one another and really you know, what, what you're trying to do as a team, different things when you bring a new staff member and it's not raised up through your culture. We, we're trying to, most of our hires, we want to hire from within and so forth. There's certain ones we had to go outside and, and, uh, because of expertise and, and uh, try to get that. And so one of the things that I so learned from me, <laughs> I didn't do a good job on this, was I delegated some authority and responsibility too early. I should have walked with them a little closer. Again, doing a great job in a ton of areas. But this relational component, this culture that we created, he's coming in from a very large church, very, very good leader, but he doesn't fully own the DNA yet. So when our, when our staff that will report to him, all of a sudden, it's, it's a different experience, and they're struggling and they're wrestling. It's because I didn't, I delegated because I'm like, oh, thank goodness, man, you can do this. It'd be awesome. You're great. You get this. We went through the DS1. You, we talked through all this stuff. A lot of head nodding. Okay, who are you discipling? Making sure all that stuff's happening. Yeah, meet with this guy, meet with this guy. Okay, great. Thought he had it, and it's just been exposed that it, not really. And that's my fault. I've got to walk longer, as, as Brandon said. He's been talking about it for two years, and these guys are just now getting it. And so you've got to be willing to go slow in order to go fast. Because relationship just takes time. And so as you think about how you're aligning your staff and how you're aligning with your elders and how are you aligning your church, entire church body, it's going to take time. It takes, we talked about yesterday, intentional leadership. It's your responsibility. Own it. And just be willing to love people and walk through that stuff. When you think about your budget, what does your budget communicate? Does your budget communicate that Sunday morning is the main priority and the, the huge deal for your church? Or does your budget and your staffing communicate that discipleship is the main priority? You have all the people on Sunday morning on the stage and all the you know, lights and all the kind of stuff, and that's where a lot of your money's going to. And you have one community pastor, and you have all these small... How are you going to shepherd and disciple and care for your people? So again, as you think about alignment, Organizationally, philosophically, relationally, theologically, making sure that you're on the same page. And the, prob- <laughs> the struggle is it never ends. you got to keep staying on top of it. That's one of the things for me. It's kind of like, oh, man, I see this thing over here. I'm going to go over here and pour my time into it. Well, next thing you know, it over here it's leaking, so now you got to come back over here. you got to take care of this and realize, oh, i got to deal with that. And it's just recognizing you've got to make sure as you're leading that ship, that you are caring for your people well, you're setting the course, you're holding the line, and you're going to take a lot of shots for it. You just are. And I just know that, that when we shifted to a more relational culture, it was helping our elders and our staff understood what was going to be the main thing. Make sense? Yes. All right. All right, here's something that, uh, as you guys grab a chair, we're going to roll into this question and answer session. On your table, these three by five cards, any questions you might have, we're going to uh, flag them. I'm going to grab some questions we didn't get to yesterday that actually apply to this session. There's some good ones in here. Here's one thing I want to share. When I came, uh, I think I heard some of my story maybe yesterday, is I was a CEO 
And when Jim created a place for me to play, when I sold my company, coming out of the business world into the church world was an adjustment for me. Here's one thing that they're saying that I just want to point out because it's so intuitive to what they're saying. I just want to put real common layman. It was easy for me to be a CEO and fire people if, I didn't, if they didn't get the role done and create management by objectives and milestones and hit targets. And that was very easy. To walk out relational discipleship, to actually really be a relationship specialist with loving the Lord and loving people, that was hard. That's a whole different ballgame. And so when you hear them talking about unity, okay, how, what would it look like if I showed up at your culture? Would they say your culture is known for fighting for relationship? That's what we're talking about. Are you with me? I'm not saying an abusive relationship and just stick with it. Not that kind. What I'm talking about is if I offend one of my staff people, do I get, is it okay just to leave it there? Or do I have to work it out? So when they say unity and, and people grabbing a hold of this, it's really learning to work through all those tensions. So then whether you put a theology topic or you put a whatever topic, it's easier to navigate if you know people's heart. You don't really know people's heart until you run into some issues. Once you run into those issues, how you conduct yourself and walk through it determines everything about the culture. And if most people are, I think everybody here has been hurt in relationship. So now when there's tension, they don't want to press into it, right? I mean, who goes, who raises their hand, man, I love conflict, I love to do it, right? This is, this, this alignment, this unity is teaching people how to walk through those areas of tension. And if you allow them not to, it's going to be pretty hard to say, you know, you have a relational culture. Does that make sense? Yes. Because... Being polite's one thing, okay? That was the one thing that I found out going into the Christian world is everybody was polite, right? They've defined loving God, right, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving your neighbor like yourself. They just replaced the word love for polite. Are you with me? Not polite is part of it, but that's not all wrapped up. And so Christians are very polite with each other, and they just, well, I'll just give grace, I'll just give grace. They just don't work it out. Right? So you have a culture that has all kinds of cobwebs in it. All right. So that being said, what are some things that stood out uh, of what you grabbed from what these guys were saying? What are some things that stood out to you? We'll take a few, three, four, five answers, and then we'll jump into the Q&A. Raise your hand. Something that stood out to you. Yes. So, so the question would be, uh, um, on the five dysfunctions of a team, did you, did you read that, Bob, before you dove into this or kind of after? So we had started that before we dove into it, um, but we were in midstream as we went through, so it was kind of both and. But the, yeah, like, Brandon, go ahead and just say what you were saying as far as the three. Well, all which we know, Lencioni's done is, is secular, from a secular perspective, wrote down what truth is. And so that's all. It's working through those things and navigating them um, to help teams and eliminate dysfunctions and all of that. So, um, I haven't even read Lencioni's book uh, in its entirety. Uh, so I'm not quite, I couldn't tell you what the five dysfunctions are. 
but I have read scripture and scripture says that relational tension and team is God's goal for the church and we really struggle with that because of our sin nature and because of the devil, right? So uh, my team, several of my team have read it. Uh, I've read it, a, a, another book of Lencioni once they, uh, not that long ago. So this is, uh, any books you can use that just reiterate that and, and, you know, help people understand that, that's great. But the source of all the, you know, I, I agree, Lencioni is really good at taking stuff that's biblical and, and making it, the problem with uh, secular people doing this is that you start to use relationship to get your, you know, that's one of the things the secular books do. When they take God out of it, uh, you start using relationship to lead people. And the problem is without the Holy Spirit, you really don't have the ability to do this for the right reasons because you really love God and you love others and you're not trying to figure out how to maneuver people through relationship. Yes. Yeah. So... Excellent. What are a couple of takeaways that, you, that stood out to you? A couple of takeaways. And then I'm stalling. I write out questions as you're hearing these takeaways. Write out some questions, and we're going to be bringing them up. Takeaway, yes. We've got two. Ronnie, go ahead. Yeah. Being a Christian is more important than doing Christianity. Uh, yes. Being a Christian is more important than doing Christianity. Excellent. Did you have one right here, sir? Right in the back. Okay. In the back. Yes, go ahead. Uh, our greatest evangelistic tool is simply to get along. Yeah, yeah that was huge, right? Our greatest evangelistic tool is just getting along. Yeah, I, I would confirm with what Jim was saying. I didn't know the Lord until I was in my mid-30s, and that was what I would agree with. I saw a lot of uh, uh, fake relationships. So what they did on Sunday looked all nice and neat. What we did on Friday night was exactly the opposite of what church was supposed to be about. And so I didn't have a high regard. Yep. Keep going. Somebody in the back. Way in the back. Where were you at? Yes. Yeah, that's huge, right? As leaders, we need to lead. We need to be clear on expectations. And it's completely okay to be clear on what you expect of your leaders to walk through. And every year there's things, every month, every quarter, whatever it is, it's okay to expect people to go through it. Yes. I got one more back there. That was, where was it, Gal? Nope. Okay, right here. Go ahead. Making things, making things right with, with your brother before. Mm. Yeah, that's huge, right? Yeah, working out the tensions, right? Leaving your sacrifices at the altar. Go make it right. <coughs> yeah, it's huge. Okay. Let's do this. Let's collect cards. If you have cards, hold your hand up. Jason's going to grab them. And then we're going to roll them forward, and we're going to give each one of these folks a minute to answer. And so we're going to get as many uh, questions, answers as we can. So I'm going to start off with a couple from last session that will apply to this one. Um, uh, oh, that one's kind of rough on that one. You want to do that one, Jim? <laughs> it's not bad. Here, here's a question. When, when you teach on relationship in a church context, how do you manage the expectations for people for deep relationship with the pastor? And you, yeah. yeah, you just make sure that you understand 
this is why systems are so important. See, if you talk about relationship and what it looks like, but you give them no other place to get it than the person that they see on stage, you're out actually over-promising and under-delivering. So by saying, in your life group, this is what we're hoping you're going to get, you're, you're saying, this is what it looks like, and this is where you're going to get it. Because if you don't give them a place to get it, then they expect it of you. Make sense to you? It, I always say, it's not my job to pastor thousands and thousands of people. It's my job to make sure that people that choose to be pastored and have relationship get the opportunity here in this life group. You know, when I tell a story about um, uh, I went to the hospital and I got there and I said, I'm here to see somebody. They said, who are you? And I said, uh, I'm the pastor of the church. And they went, they already have 14 pastors in there. And I go, really? And I walk in and it's the home group and the home group pastor. And, I, and then I celebrate, you know, what Brennan said, what you celebrate, you, you, you know, people aspire to. That's the pastor. And then the, the guy looks at me and goes, why are you here? <laughs> okay, you know. Uh, and so you're celebrating that it's happening, but it's not you. Because, it, and, and you'll say, I can't be with friends with everybody or I'm friends with nobody. And friendship isn't just me being friends with them. They, I need friends too. You know, so this is the way you explain that. That's good. Here's a question for you, Brandon. Tyson, what Jim is saying. Theological alignment. You're launching uh, uh, a new church plant. You're getting these core people together. Why did you, what's the difference of just handing them a sheet of paper and having everybody sign it? Because, right, we have membership. Hey, sign this, theological alignment. We're all agreed on we believe. How are you handling that to know your alignment? The first thing uh, that I do is I prioritize my schedule to make sure that I'm spending time with all of those core families. Um, and especially the guys, we meet as a, as a team uh, every other week um, together. And we go through our actual doctrinal statement and through the conversation of what does this look like to live this out in, in relationship no matter what the theology is and how do we execute on that? How do we live it? And then we, um, uh, a long time ago, created something called the essentials um, within our church, the seven essentials. Um, and those essentials, which we, out of the tables, a book called Stay the Course, we put those together to allow um, a conversational piece to help people navigate. How do you actually walk this out theologically? How do you stay on course with this? How do you live this out? So I have conversations with my team all the time about what does it look like, for example, to reach the lost. Are you, are you sharing your faith? Are you, what, tell me about who you're having conversations with. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you helping people get connected in our church? It's a constant conversation that we talk about that applies to the theology. So it's not just hand a piece of paper. You read it. Did you understand it? Sign it. Check. Get, we're good to go, right? No, no. It's, it's ongoing, consistent conversation about the theology like and, its, and its practical application. Yeah, we call it a dashboard. So we can look at our dashboard and go, do we have any red lights that are on that we're not doing? Are we not actually living these things out? Are we off course? Jim uses the, the concept, we might be on the rumble strips, but at least we're on the right road. Um, it's a constant conversation and we keep it in front of people. Uh, maybe one question. Hey, Jason, you want to grab me some? Another question. What do you do? How often, 
whoever, how often do one of your volunteers um, maybe come from a little bit of a theological, they're a little off-center, and then how often does that happen to manage expectations, and then what do you do about it? Good luck. Yeah. Uh, weekly? I mean, you know, we, we, you know especially, especially in South Florida, you get lots of people that are snowbirds, and they come from all over the country, and, you know, they'll come from different churches and so forth, or, you know, whatever. So, again, it's, it, and Brandon mentioned it before, it's like you get people to come in with programs, you get different people, you know, and, and you're constantly shifting, saying, give me your understanding and view of church, and we're going to give you a different picture of what we're going after. And, you know, and I think the, the biggest thing is don't shy away from taking a stance to biblical truth. Because if you are afraid of conflict and you're, you're concerned that they won't like you and all that kind of stuff... I'm telling you, you will create a place where people will gossip and they will create division and you're going to have a whole lot more problems. When I got there, they never dealt with conflict. And so when I started handling, hey, I'd hear about something and I'd go talk to them. I'd say, hey, I heard this, that you said this. Is that true? Well, I, you know, well, well and they start backpedaling, right? Because they had never created a place, an environment that they were going to deal with that stuff. Well, it wreaked havoc throughout the church. And so once they knew that that was not going to be tolerated and you start talking through that and we're going to start talking through theological uh, truths and we're going to hold the line and we're not going to sway one side or the other. We're not going to be all the way over here. We're not going to go all the way over here. We're going to stay true uh, to what scripture says and we're going to hold one another accountable to it. it, it again, it, it started aligning us to make sure that, you know, the loudest voice or the biggest paycheck or, or you know, whatever wasn't going to rule the day. But you have to hold the line with that. So we had to address that lot. Uh, let, me, let me just say this. Two things. First, you answer to the Lord. You don't answer to your people. This is not a democracy. It's a spiritual family. And, and, and let's say it this way. If I always ask you know, pastors, what's the percentage of your people? Once we define spiritual maturity, what's the percentage of your people that are spiritually mature? And they'll say 10, 20, 25%. So in your church, do the 75% immature people get to dictate what you do? Mm. It's like a parent who says, uh, okay, kids, where do you, what time do you want to go to bed? You don't let the crazy kids in the back seat decide where you're, where you're going. Okay? Your job is to answer to the Lord. You're not a dictator. You're not lording it over people. But you're the coach. You don't call the, the, the team over to the huddle, uh, the huddle and say, hey, guys, what do you all think we should do for this next play? When do you all think we should have practice? Okay, so you're the coach. You earn the right to lead by loving people, but you're going to have people that are constantly disagree. We, uh, I had a, a person, we, we always talk about this is essential doctrine. This is important doctrine for unity. This is preferential. We, had a, we have a guy who's leaving our church because we took on debt. So I said, so what you're saying is, this is, this is uh, an essential doctrine. Now, you just move this into the top rung. You're going to separate over us having debt. Yep. Well, I guess you were never unified. It just, it just exposes that. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the big problem. People putting things in wrong categories all the time. And you have to ask, okay, this is, so you're trying to clear up what are the categories right from the very beginning. 
And then in, in, in helping fight for that. That's good. Can you quickly go through the order of your 101, 201, kind of 301 classes? And for example, you mentioned that people don't volunteer until they have gone through a 101. Okay, so what the order of the classes? Yeah, like I, I'd say it this way to summarize it. Uh, what do you have your uh, volunteers go through before they can lead? And please describe what that looks like. We have what's called a church membership class. It's every month, sometimes twice a month. So everybody knows, every staff member, everybody knows, the person wants to volunteer in your ministry, number one, they have to be a member of the church. That's it. Now, we do all sorts of huge events in the community. I don't care if you come help us clean up garbage on, on spring clean day. You don't have to be a member to do that. But if you're going to be... Uh, a, a minister in children's ministry or a youth ministry or a greeter, you have to take one-on-one class. Okay? You have to agree with us where we're going theologically because we, don't, we want you to decide to opt out before you've been here three months and got to know everybody. Okay? So, every month. Then secondly, um, and by the way, our one-on-one -on -one includes what is our common salvation? This is what it, how we define Christianity, and we do that both to teach them how to share their faith, but also to find out if they're Christians. What is our theology? What is our organizational structure? How are we structured as a church? And, and then what is our uh, philosophy and where we're going? And then there's a covenant. You're not a member until you sign the covenant. This is what you can expect from us. This is what we expect from you. We're going to hold you accountable to it. Then, if you want to be a greeter... There's a greeters meeting. So now, we're, just because you're a member doesn't mean you understand what we mean by greeting. So every ministry has kind of a, here's what we expect of you, uh, and, and, uh, and you call them up. Call them up to a higher standard. This is what it means to be a team member here. You're going to abide in Christ. We don't want you doing stuff for Jesus if you're not with Jesus. We're going to have a little team meeting. You come in to greet. How are you doing with the Lord? What can we pray for you about? How's it going in your life group? If you're, a vis if you're a, on the visiting team or the uh, uh, greeting team, that's a Sunday morning thing. You're in a life group. How's your life group going? Right? So, because you said in your membership thing you're going to be a part of a life group. So, how's that going? This isn't your new thing that you do instead of a life group. Make sense to you? Yeah. That's good. Here's a question. I'm going to read it. Just because uh, we're going to answer it next session. Uh, it's really good. Because the next session is all on relational environment. But this is a great question. And it kind of ties into a little bit of what we're saying. But it's going to be the main thing we talk about in our next session. It says, uh, do you resolve staff issues openly in staff meetings or between people? Um, does, does that separate? You know, what, what, Basically, what topics do you talk about during a staff meeting? What do you talk about openly? And what does that do to the environment? And so we're going to be diving into things like that in the next session. I'm going to put this card here so we can answer that. Because we have a few questions that are hitting the relational environment side. And they're great questions. We're going to target that whole piece next session for the next hour and 15 minutes the next session. Here's a question. Whoever wrote this is brilliant. And this is a great question. I wish we would ask, ask, answer this every time. I did not write this question, so I'm not setting that up. I, mean, I figured you did, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> How did you know what we might be thinking? Does that say a lot about our relationship right there? I'm guilty. I'm not. I can't convict me. I didn't do it. This is a brilliant this question. Amazing. <laughs> Whose name is Luke on here? Oh. Okay. What potential problems could occur when a senior pastor delegates the creation of a discipleship strategy and vision to the discipleship pastor? That's a great question. Is that not Tim? Is that not brilliant? It's like, yeah, what happens when the senior guy hands that over to the discipleship pastor and says, roll this baby out, right? (laughs) Yesterday, um, Bob made a statement from the stage about uh, what we do, how kind of leadership can leak and and how it um, permeates into a culture. And when we take something as critical as this, and if I were to hand it to my staff or a person on staff and say, hey, go make this happen. From the very get-go, I'm communicating a lot, a lot of things in that. But I, I think the primary is clear. It's maybe not a value to me, that it's a task that needs to be done, that it's a program from the very get-go, go execute on this and make this happen. Um, and then the part that we've ran into over and over and over with, with churches is if the senior leader and, and the eldership are not living it out, you don't have your own testimony. I talk about my own small group, my men's group, the people I'm discipling. I try to weave it in every single Sunday. If I don't have my own testimony and example, then I'm, I'm a hypocrite. I'm asking the organization to do something I myself am not willing to do. And I have to lead it. I have to be the first one that's making disciples and and giving the example and failing um, forward in the organization, making mistakes and learning. Um, And so when we hand it off, that's making an assumption that the senior pastor is not not doing it. Now, if the senior pastor is is doing that, but they're still kind of handing it off to someone else, you have to be really intentional and make sure that you are part of it. So even in our, uh, our small group system that's pretty small as a church right now, when we have coaches that are volunteers over groups that are coaching our groups, I will put myself as the senior pastor under that system to be, a, to be coached by a coach. Let them call me and ask how a group's going. I will put myself in the system. I'm not above it. Does that make sense? Yes. So, man, when we hand it off, Understanding what we're communicating from an alignment standpoint is critical. I will, I have a guy on our staff that oversees small groups, but I'm not handing small groups off to him to go do as a program. Big, big important. That's a great question. That's great. I, I just want to, yeah, everything Brandon just said, I, I would say that, especially when we see this in DS1s where a uh, pastor of small groups or adult sites, whatever will come, and senior pastor doesn't, and he's like, I don't know if this is ever going to happen because he doesn't really bleed it. So what do I do? I guess we'll never. And I'm like, don't, don't make the mistake to think you get an excuse not to make disciples because your church isn't going to be a disciple-making church. You have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus to make disciples. Then you've got to figure out if you go and, and talk with your senior pastor and you try to walk through this stuff, then you've got a professional decision you've got to think about. But don't blend the two and think you get an out because your senior guy is not going to believe this. So. That's good. Jim, would you answer this one? Because we get this a lot. Um, how, how do you keep unity in the church with theological differences on Arminianism and Calvinism? 
Uh, let me go back to this question first. Um, if you're saying I can't make disciples because our church hasn't adopted the rule, then you're saying you're not actually a disciple maker. You understand what I'm saying? And if you're not a disciple maker, I would say then you really don't understand what Christianity is about. So no one's going to stop you, can stop you from making disciples. You don't need a program to do that. So you have no excuses. I, I love what Bob said. Uh, in our 101 class, we outline where we are theologically. And we talk about that this is a non-salvation issue. Calvinism versus Arminianism is a non-salvation issue. However, and a lot of times I'll go, uh, you know, uh, Calvinists will say this, Armenians will say this. You know, the, the truth about Calvinism is, you know, if a person isn't uh, walking in faith, then they never got in. Because the big issue is usually eternal security. If a person isn't walking in faith on the other side, uh, if you're an Armenian, it means that they may have gotten in, but they got out. The truth is, are you walking in faith? The Calvinists would say, I don't know if you got in. An Armenian says, I don't know if you got out. Either way, they don't know. That's not their choice. So I try to simplify it, right? But on Calvinism, let's say there's a subject that is highly divisive and very aggressive. In other words, in our area, there are times where uh, the spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, it's not a salvation issue. Uh, but there are times when a church will be really aggressive in our small community and, and kind of make the statement that you're only really spirit-filled if you're speaking in tongues. Okay, you're only really a believer, and, and we're just more spiritual over here. And, and, you know, we live in a small community, so that becomes a hot topic. I, I will say it's not a salvation issue, but I want you to know this. In our church, it's a unity issue. There's no place in our church where speaking in tongues will happen in a small group or in a weekend service. So if you see that actually happening, it means it's somebody who's not a member. Give grace. Point them to the one-on-one class, but we're not going to do that. Okay, it's a divisive issue. Calvinism versus Arminianism is a highly divisive issue. Because in my opinion, I don't mean to offend you, but uh, the Calvinists are very aggressive and saying that you don't actually believe in the Bible if you're not a Calvinist. So I will say it this way. I tolerate Calvinism in our church as long as you're not aggressive. If you're a Calvinist and you're aggressive, this is not the place for you to go somewhere else. Do you understand what I'm saying? I will be straight out because here's the deal. I am not... I am not trying to make you happy. If I, if I allow you... To come in and divide our church just because you have a big paycheck or maybe you're skilled or whatever. I want to weed you out before you get in to blow up our church. So if I don't tell the truth. Right? Because I want to grow the church. You're actually at some point blowing up your church. It's just a matter of time. So I just make it very clear. I'm not a Calvinist. When I tell the gospel message, God doesn't choose some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. That's not early church theology. I don't agree with it. I don't believe in it. And if you don't like that, go to another church. Because we're going to be unified. Make sense to you? 
good. What's good about uh, Jim being so clear about what he's saying, that's the what. How he'll go about that is very loving, and right now you're hearing it in a very clear way. <laughs> What I love about Jim, he's very clear on what he's saying, and, and he'll create the opportunity to dialogue through it. There's a big difference between monologue and dialogue, and oftentimes as leaders, we create a monologue situation, but we expect the dialogue results. See what I'm saying? And Jim's doing both. Like He wants to be clear on what he's communicating, but we set it up in a dialoguing way so people can understand and get their questions asked. So they're like, okay, that makes more sense. If you just dictate it, they don't understand why, then it's kind of pointless. And so when you have a relational culture you, and you set things up to be relational, you get to discuss some things. But as you discuss them, that doesn't mean it's up for debate. Right. You following me? Yes. All right. Here, um, let me see. Folks, part of, part of uh, your job is to shepherd your church and protect the flock, right? That's right. And again... You're not, if you're a spiritual parent, you want to not just give, you want to tell your children no. As they get older, you want to tell them why. Right? You don't explain it to a two-year-old, don't touch the stove, because he doesn't understand it. But you will when they're five, and as they get older, right? They're, the church has been, and I'm very passionate about this, because um, when I first got saved... It was um, not only you had to believe in Jesus, but you had to be in the right church and believe it was it wasn't ecumenical at all. It was now I got to choose the right church or I'm going to hell. Okay, so which church? And then as you start to go and, and from the outside looking into the church, they're fighting about all this stupid stuff. And you either are overly divisive like in our church. I got probably six or seven Calvinists on my staff. So they're my, some of my closest friends. We don't debate about it, but they're not aggressive. They lean towards some of the Calvinistic things. They don't think it's a salvation issue. We, we, we want to reach people for Jesus. We do it together. But I, we've got to set the tone as the leader. We're not trying to make everybody happy. I mean, think about it. You guys understand this as Americans, right? You want to come over here, but you want to follow Sharia law. Does that work? No, we have, it's the American law. You want to be over here, this is, it's not just Sharia law and the American law. This is what we're doing. If you want to come over and be a part of what we're doing, there's a difference between your personal commitments and what you're going to try to force the American government to do. We understand that at that level, but in the church, we don't want to say this is what we're about because we want to bring everybody together and somehow they're just going to work it out. Be realistic. Kind of wound him up there, didn't <laughs> 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 Okay, uh, on the back of this, uh, on the back of this cover, you guys see these uh, these dates. That's a two-day training. Right now, we spent forty uh, an hour, fifteen minutes on alignment. These five components we cover on a two-day experiential. We we get in a very small group setting. We fly in leaders from across the country that are practitioners to sit with you and spend two days experiencing these five components. If you're interested in that, that's why we put that on the back page. We fill up almost every one of them way ahead of time. We limit it to 100 liters. 
So if you're interested, sign up early. And what that'll look like is you'll, you, it could be you and your team. It'll be a multitude. We'll keep it to about eight people in a group. And in that group, you're going to have two facilitators that will journey through on hands-on application these five components. So if you're interested in that, there's a, there's a, disc, a discount uh, on the first page of this booklet. You can enter in that discount and get $50 off. Also on this first page, if you, if you open up the page, we have a curriculum in there that if you, uh, if you want it, it's yours. And you just go to that link, fill it out. That curriculum is uh, built for a little bit more on the relational side. So the questions in there are to create a little bit more of a relational environment. And we're going to dive into that in the next session. For the next hour and 15 minutes, we'll be diving into relational environment, doing the exact same format. So I just want to say thank you guys for being here. Hopefully we'll see you next session. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Make sure to check out the free ebook, Stay the Course, at discipleship.org slash rdn. You'll find dozens of other great free discipleship resources on our site as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.